0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1 today, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open a Bible, an actual Bible and open it as we uh, read this together. We'll go ahead and stand. Uh, those in here, I'm asking you to stand out of respect of God's word. And then those at home as well. If you, uh, I think it would be a good practice to continue to do that. Second Timothy chapter 1 is where we'll be. And uh, we're just going to read a, a couple of verses here. Uh, verses 5, 6, and 7. And I'm going to deal with the subject today that I think would be a help. At this time, uh, for our culture, for the situation at hand, and First Timothy, I'm sorry, Second Timothy, chapter one, we'll begin reading in verse five. It says, "When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God." which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul begins this letter to Timothy basically saying how much he misses Timothy. He calls him his dearly beloved son. He he gives him a greeting of grace and mercy and peace and how he thanks God uh, for... ...for Timothy and how he's praying for Timothy... ...and how he desires to see Timothy... says, greatly desiring to see thee... Uh, ...because they're separated right now. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus... Uh, ...we're led to believe... ...and Paul, at this time of his writing... ...is in prison. And he's writing to Timothy, this young pastor... ...to encourage him... ...because he has great fear... He's living in perilous times and Timothy, this young man, is kind of on his own. He had been with Paul in much of his journey and and yet now he's pastoring and he's by himself and Paul's in prison and for Timothy it really does seem and feel like the world is kind of collapsing around him. And Paul takes some time to help this young pastor to have confidence again in the things that he can trust, the things that he can rely on. And tonight, or this morning, I'm calling the message, Fight, Flight, or Freeze. And it's really a message about fear. And how fear can lead us to the place where all we're thinking about is the threat. And we lose sight of our Father. So, with the Lord's help, I'd like to preach on the subject of fear. And I'm calling it again, Fight, Flight, or Freeze. Let's pray and ask God for His help. Father, we pray that you would, through your word, illuminate these truths and help us to see how we can often be captivated by fear and we lose sight of a father. We are are inclined to fear and we lose sight of faith. God, very often we are incapacitated by the threats. And yet there are some important truths to remember from Paul to Timothy, right here in this passage. I pray that you'd help it to be a a help and a blessing and a challenge to us, especially in the times in which we are living. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I recently read a story about a French executive, a 64-year-old man in France, whose colleagues surprised him with a flight on a fighter jet. And I don't know the occasion. I don't know if they if it was for an anniversary or for a birthday or, or just, uh, just to show him some thoughtfulness. But his, his colleagues, his employees got together and they, they paid for him to go on a flight with a, with a fighter jet pilot on a fighter jet. And most men would assume or be excited that, that something like that would be thrilling. They would see that as an opportunity to go 900 miles an hour through the air. But this man... Uh, He wasn't excited. As a matter of fact, he was extremely scared. At 2,500 feet or so, the story goes, the pilot abruptly, in order to increase the thrill, I think, he started to climb at an exceptional rate. And it scared the man so badly that he went to grab for something and he accidentally pushed the eject button. So here's a man untrained in the air. He's not in the Air Force, he's not a pilot and he reaches up to grab for something in a moment of fear and he touches the eject button and sure enough he is shot into the air directly out of that fighter jet fortunately for him there was the automatic parachute and it deployed and it saved his life he was also fortunate in the fact that he hadn't even fastened his helmet correctly that came off in the middle of it all and yet when he by the time he landed it was with non life threatening ish- uh, injuries Uh, which he was fortunate for. Most people in that situation, many, I think, uh, would probably put their life at risk. And yet here's a man who it it was later revealed that he had been terrified about the prospects of flying from the beginning. But he felt social pressure from his colleagues and the fact that they had been thoughtful and bought him the flight as a gift that he felt compelled to go, like he didn't have a choice. The stress of the flight incited such fear in him. That he lost all touch with reality and he simply touched the wrong button and ejected himself. After examining, he had a smartwatch. After examining the smartwatch, investigators determined, determined that he was in full tachycardia, which means that his heart was racing at about 140 beats per minute before he ever got on the airplane. I mean, that's, that is quite a story and it's true. Uh, have you ever been so afraid that you did something irrational like that? It's amazing how incapacitating fear can be in our lives. I was talking with someone this week about just hearing a noise in the darkness and, and it, it, you can be sitting in a deer stand. I was telling the story of sitting in a deer stand and it's dark and you hear something in the woods below and the, walking along the leaves and it sounds like a, a giant lion and yet you shine the light on it and it's a squirrel. You know, fear incites in us irrational behavior, irrational responses. And one man that is dealing with fear is this young pastor, Timothy. Timothy pastored in difficult times. He was a protege of of the Apostle Paul and he had observed real faith. He had observed effective ministry. But things aren't quite as easy now that he's pastoring on his own. First Timothy or second Timothy is a letter from Timothy's mentor, Paul. And it's a means of encouragement to this young pastor Who's struggling. And if you go through, you start to realize what Timothy was dealing with just simply based on what Paul talked about. Uh, I could just, just gonna give you some language that Paul uses. In, in verse four of chapter one, he's talking about his tears, uh, Timothy's tears. And this shows that Timothy was struggling with t- t- tough circumstances. And not just the tough circumstances of pastoring, but the fact that his, his mentor, Paul, is in prison. He goes on, the verse we read, our, our text today, he's talking about the spirit of fear. Why would Paul be telling Timothy about fear and, and encouraging him if Timothy's not afraid? We could go on and see how Timothy, uh, Paul is telling Timothy to not be ashamed. Timothy was obviously dealing with confidence issues. We could go to chapter two and, and see how Timothy's telling, I'm pa- sorry, Paul is telling Timothy to be strong and to endure hardness as a good soldier. It sounds like he's giving him a pep talk. We could go to chapter 3 and we could read Paul's description of perilous times and how all of these things are coming together. Men are lovers of themselves and they're covetous and they're boasters and they're proud and blasphemers and without natural affection and they're having a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. Those are the kinds of things that marked the day in which Timothy was ministering. It's perilous. And it's perilous because Timothy is called in that day... ...to stand and proclaim truth and godliness... ...in a culture that didn't want anything to do with God. His message is countercultural. They, the, the culture did not want to hear what Timothy was preaching... ...and they hated it so much... ...we could go toward the end of chapter 3... ...and see how they weren't just opposed to his message... ...they weren't actually afflicting those that were preaching the gospel... ...they were persecuting those that were preaching the gospel... And, and Paul says in, in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 3, "...Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution." And he says, "...Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse." So if he's trying to encourage Timothy, I'm not sure that's, that's helping. But he's letting Timothy know, you're going to have a message that's countercultural, And you're going to come against what people want to hear. And it will get worse. And there will be more persecution." And and down in chapter 4, they're not going to even want to hear what you have to say. The time will come when they shall heap to themselves teachers. Having itching ears. Timothy's message, uh, he was kind of set up to fail here. He has a message of godliness and a message of truth in a culture that wants to hear lies. In a culture that wants nothing to do with God. And if you think about that message, if you think about preaching... Uh, things against someone's lifestyle or against someone's preferences—you realize at best it is it is very uh, polarizing. At worst, they start to call it hate speech, which is what they're doing even in our culture. Timothy ministered in that environment. Paul ministered in that environment, and folks, we are ministering in that kind of environment. People don't want to hear it, and it will get to the point. And I don't—it's it, not there quite yet but it will get to the point like it did for Paul and Timothy that preaching the gospel is such an affront to the culture that we will be afflicted and persecuted. We will someday, maybe not in this generation, probably the next or the next two, there will be a time in our country where you put your life at risk to preach the gospel. It's happened in every generation. It's happened in every culture. It's a cycle and it will happen eventually even right here. Well, no wonder Timothy's afraid. I mean, add in the fact that Timothy's mentor, the Apostle Paul, is in prison for preaching the gospel, and and he's probably thinking, if Paul, a man of Paul's faith, if Paul is in prison, um, what am I going to do to get out of that? How am I going to have the faith if even Paul is sitting in a prison cell? And we know later this was the last letter preserved in the New Testament that Paul wrote, he, he is put to death uh, not long after he wrote 2 Timothy. Timothy has to be thinking, if Paul's in prison and Paul's life is at risk, then mine is too. I mean, no wonder he's afraid. A few weeks ago, I preached on anxiety. Anxiety is, is like imagining maybe a grizzly bear around every turn. Imagine there's a grizzly bear behind every tree, not one or two, or, but ten And you don't even have to see one to get anxious. That's anxiety. You just have to imagine that it's there. And we preached on Philippians 4 that there's a way to combat anxiety, according to Paul, that you have to praise and you have to pray, and that leads to peace and God's presence. He gives a very clear outline, a helpful outline there. Anxiety feels real, but it comes as a result of focusing on what if instead of what is. We're focused on what could be instead of what is. Anxiety is tough but with anxiety there's not a real threat in the moment fear is different than that folks fear is is one author said this anxiety and fear are cousins but not twins anxiety imagines a threat fear sees one while anxiety wonders what if fear is screaming there it is get out See, anxiety is so debilitating because there's not a threat to be dealt with, and, and if it's only a what if, which is paralyzing, because if there's not a true danger, you don't have any recourse. If there's not anything literally threatening you, you don't have options on what to do. All you can do is worry, but fear is different because there is a real threat, not just a perceived threat, and fear has a fight or flight response. You've heard that before, I'm sure. It's, it's not something you choose to do. You just automatically respond these ways. Our brains have these two almond-shaped neural clusters called amygdala, and they naturally cause us to respond uh, by fight or flight. Uh, they, they, our amygdala are what prompts us when you see a grizzly bear running at you to run away. Our amygdala uh, is what prompts us when a baseball comes flying at our head. ...to duck out of the way. It's just a natural response. It works like an alarm system. If you have an alarm system in your home... ...then you know Then at late at night... ...if someone tries to break into your home... ...the, the alarm blares, the lights come on... Uh, ...you wake up in a, in a half-sleeping stupor... ...wondering if it's the rapture... ...trying to figure out what's going on... Uh, ...that alarm system has alerted you to the danger... And it's telling you there's a threat and it's time to get up and get out to safety. Nobody has to teach you how to respond to your amygdala. It's natural. For some people, their amygdala kicks in and their fear response is to fight. Uh, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here. We, uh, for a few years there in Stillwater, there was a certain um, group of us that worked on staff together. And one of the men uh, was a big, strong guy, he liked to lift weights. But he was also very jumpy. So, me and the other staff member, uh, we would, Brother Jonathan Pyle, my, my best friend, uh, we, would, we would set him up. We knew he'd be walking the hallways at times, and, and I was always the one instigating it, the one recording, and I would make my friend Jonathan actually be the one that jumps out, and we would try to scare this other man named Peter. And uh, I would sit back and record it, and Brother Jonathan would jump out, and Brother Peter, big strapping, strong guy, just about every time Brother Jonathan would jump out, Peter, his response was grab and do this right here. Multiple times, almost, uh, Brother Jonathan's life flashed before my eyes because that was Peter's response. His response was fight. And I have many of those on, on video, which I go back and watch occasionally just for fun. But some people, that's their amygdala. Their amygdala kicks in and their response is fight. For others, their fear response is flight. They run the man, the 64-year-old Frenchman in the airplane, that fighter jet, his, his response was definitely flight. get me out of this situation. And I've always made, kind of made fun of people that deal with that with fear in response or as a response with flight, and, and that I don't understand it. You know You always see people jumping up on counters and you know, if they see a mouse. And, and I always made fun of people like that until I was in college one time, and, and I was walking into the kitchen. I didn't have any shoes on. And this, a rat the size of a, of a dump truck, at least as far as my memory serves, walked out from behind the refrigerator right, right up to me, right across my feet. And I had never before in my life felt the, 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 the inkling to jump on top of the counter and, and get away from it. But I did in that moment. That was my amygdala telling me that that rat that's the size of a dump truck is going to bite your toes off. I mean, it was like, that was that moment, and so I don't make fun of people anymore when they want to jump up on a counter, if they see something that scares them. I like to think, though, that there's a third response. And that third response is what I'll call "freeze." There's fight, there's flight, which is to run, and then there is freeze." So I don't know about you. this isn't very scientific, but I'm, I, mean, I think it's probably happened to you where you hear a noise in the house at night, you see a shadow move in the dark. You get a funny feeling and the the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you can't move. You're frozen with fear. See, fear leads to fight or it leads to flight and sometimes it leads us to freeze. There's a legitimate threat. You have a natural response and suddenly you are operating out of fear. I think it's safe to say that Timothy was in this position. He doesn't seem as much like a fight guy to me. Because Paul's telling him to be strong and stand like a good soldier and endure hardness. He doesn't even really seem like a flight guy. Paul's having to tell him, flee youthful lust and follow after righteousness. I kind of envision Timothy being one of those guys that freezes. He's so paralyzed with fear. He doesn't know what to do and and he doesn't know where to go. And he, he sees things on every side and he's not sure what steps to take. And if you think about it, was there a legitimate threat? Yes, there was. Paul was in prison. I mean, who's Timothy to think that he's going to avoid it? The people don't want to hear his message. They're going to persecute him for standing for God. It's a legitimate threat at a legitimate time. And Timothy's afraid. Who wouldn't be afraid of this situation? I mean, based on Paul's letter, it seems like Timothy's paralyzed with fear. But Paul wants to remind Timothy of an extremely important truth. Look again at verse 7 of chapter 1. It says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, Paul makes it clear that God does not give his children a spirit of fear. He does not intend for us to operate out of fear. And I'm going to say it this way. If you operate by fear regarding some threat, that fear is not from God. God did not give it to you, and therefore, I'm going to say that fear is ungodly. Fear is ungodly because it's not from God. God doesn't extend fear to his children. He doesn't sprinkle all of us with a level of fear and say, operate based on this. No, the Bible says here in verse 7 that he provides power and love and a sound mind. And that leads to our focus today. I want to give you three points about fear and why fear is ungodly. Three reasons fear is ungodly. Number one, fear ignores God's power. See, Paul says fear doesn't come from God. Instead, God has given us his power. Folks, God has all power, he's omnipotent. I know I say that, and it might go in one ear and out the other, but God has all power. Power. He's omnipotent, there is nothing, there is no person, there is no force, there is no disease, there is no event, there is no act of nature, there is no uncertainty that God cannot handle. Psalm 147 says, great is our Lord and of great power, his understanding is infinite. Everything that we know about earth and we know about each other and we see and we, we, we touch and we feel and we observe... Everything that we see is limited, but God is not, and his power is not limited. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know what the implication of that is? That Jesus Christ can do anything, and he gives his children the same ability, the same power. And I don't mean super strength. I don't mean that you can run fast or you have some superpower. I mean that everything, every resource that God has, he makes available to us His children. It's an incredible thought that God gives us power, His power. So listen, to operate out of fear of any circumstance is to elevate the danger of the threat above the power of God. Let me say that one more time. To operate out of fear of any circumstance is to elevate the danger of the threat above the power of God, and it's ungodly. It is like us saying that the threat of whatever we're facing is more terrifying than God's power. It's elevating the threat above God's ability, and that is an ungodly mindset, because nothing is above God. The Bible says the heaven is his throne, which means uh, uh, the universe is so small to God that it's like he sits on it. It says the earth is his footstool, which is like the earth being so small to God that he props his feet up on it. That's how big and powerful and mighty God is. And if you're a saved Bible believer, then you have plenty of evidence from God's word and the own change in your life that God has all power. There's nothing he can't do. And a God like that has not given his children the spirit of fear, but he has given us his power. He doesn't extend fear to people. He makes his power available to us. Any threat that we face is less than God and if you live in fear of a circumstance then you are operating as if God can't and we are commanded to operate as if God can fear stops looking at God and it focuses on the threat folks it is ungodly to operate by fear and ignore God's power the second reason that fear is ungodly is fear questions God's love. So fear ignores God's power and second, fear questions God's love. And you might say, I would never question God's love for me and for good reason. You shouldn't. Romans 5:8. but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth means proved. He proved his love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And none of us would ever verbally question whether or not God loves us. But if you operate by fear, that's essentially what you do. When you live by fear, you are are questioning God's love for you. And it is essentially the same thing as saying, I'm not sure God really loves me. Verse 7 says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love. See, fear and love, according to the Bible, fear and love are opposites. First John 418 says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Do you have somebody in your life that you know loves you unconditionally? Somebody in your life that you know as, as much as humanly possible, they have perfect love for you. Unconditional love. If if someone loves you unconditionally, now imagine do you live in fear of what that person will do to you behind your back when you're not watching? Do you live in fear of what that person might do if you're, not, if you're not around them or what they might say about you? No. Listen, when someone has unconditional love for you, you don't doubt their intentions for you and therefore you don't have any fear of what they might say or do to you. If there's fear, it means we don't trust their intentions. And there are some in our lives that have, that have broken trust and they've done something that breaks our trust for them and when it comes to uh, our, our trust of their intentions or their motives, it's hard not to be afraid because they've broken their trust. But when someone loves you unconditionally, you have no reason for fear because you know they always have your best in mind. If you have fear, if you live in fear, you, it is the same as questioning God's love because it means I don't trust his intentions enough to look past the threat. Now, Liz, I understand Living in fear, if you don't trust somebody's intentions for you. But God has proven his intentions. He has proven to have the best intentions. Folks, if fear controls you, you've lost sight of the perfect love of God that is so deep it took his son to a cross. Fear questions God's love. That's why it's ungodly. Third, fear doubts God's gifts. Fear is ungodly because it ignores God's power and it questions God's love and it doubts God's gifts. What do you mean by that? Well, God had enabled Timothy to be be the pastor he was meant to be. Look at verse 6, the verse before our text. Wherefore, he says, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now, Paul's talking about uh, when Paul ordained Timothy, laid his hands on Timothy... And I don't know how it works, I just know that that's the the process that God wants uh, men to go through if they're going to be sent out to be a minister of the gospel, and Paul reminds Timothy that God had set Timothy apart for the work of pastoring, and Paul himself had had enough confidence in Timothy to place his hands on Timothy and transfer some of that authority or power, and again, I don't know how it works, but that symbolism of God's power and authority and anointing being transferred to a man that that would become a pastor someday. I love what Paul is doing here, folks, though. See, he makes it clear to Timothy that God had set him apart to be a pastor in Ephesus, as we know, in that slice of time. Paul is reminding Timothy that God had gifted Timothy to be the pastor in perilous times. Timothy needed to be reminded of that. Here's Timothy thinking, I'm not the right man for the job. This is way too big for me. I don't even know where, what I'm supposed to do next. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to lead these people. Look at all the afflictions. Look at all the persecutions. These are perilous times. God, I, I'm not the right guy for the job. This is Paul's way of reminding Timothy, you are the right man for the job. God set you apart and he gave you the authority and he called you and he anointed you. You are the man for this hour and Timothy needed to be reminded of it, because sometimes when it gets tough, we forget that God enables us to do the jobs He calls us to do. See, the point Paul is making is, if God calls you to it, He won't enable you to do it. There are no accidents with God, folks. He knew that you'd be alive during the, the coronavirus. He knew you'd work where you work. He knew that you'd come across the people whose paths you have crossed. And he knew that you'd have contact with the people you know. And you might feel like, you might say, hey, listen, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's no way that God intended for me to be right here, right now. I'm not equipped for this job. I'm not enabled to be a a voice for God in a generation like this. I can't do this. You feel like you're here by mistake. You feel like this is too much. But God, in his sovereignty, placed us here and now for such a time as this. He knew we'd be alive in 2020 when the world seemed to start falling apart. And if there are no accidents with him, do you think he can't give you the grace you need to be all you're supposed to be during this crisis with the people in your life? Where God calls, he enables. Just like for Timothy, who felt like he was in over his head, pastoring in perilous times, God has enabled us to be right here, right now, to represent him to a confused world. You work where you work by God's design. You may not feel worthy. You may not feel able. But he has called you to be a voice for truth. And if he calls you to be a voice for truth, he enables you to be a voice for truth. You live in your neighborhood on purpose. You can show your neighbors what it's like to have such confidence in God that you can face great uncertainty and with such confidence and with no fear because you serve a God of power and of love. And that gives you, it leads you to a sound mind you see things accurately. There's a lot of chaos in this world. But God allowed you to be present here and now. He has a plan for you in this crisis. Parents, I'm thinking about parents and how you, you think, I, can, I just can't imagine I've brought children into a world like this. No, listen, God knew that. He allowed you to be a parent right here, right now. You can exhibit what it means to have confidence in his ability and love and sovereignty and you can pass that faith along to your children and they can have the same level of confidence in their God rather than living in fear like all of, the other of their generation around them. They're watching parents right now. Our children are seeing our responses to this crisis. They're watching us. They're seeing our level of faith and they're taking notes. God called you to be a parent at this time. And you say, I'm in over my head. No, if he puts you here, he will give you the grace to do it because there are no accidents with God. You exist in this perilous time for God's purposes and he's equipped you for this moment to act as if you're in over your head is to doubt God's enabling power. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, Paul wrote this, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I love that verse and I know it's about giving but it applies to everything because it says we have all sufficiency in all things and it results in abounding in every good work meaning God's grace is able to help us in every situation For all things so that we can abound to every good work. Which means you think you're in over your head. But God's grace is greater than your present trial. His grace is greater than your present circumstances. His grace is greater than your fears. And if we would simply humble ourselves. And acknowledge that he put us here. Right here, right now for a reason. Accept his grace. Then we in this crisis can abound to every good work. That's the life that God intends for you to live. God puts you in a position or in a job or in a neighborhood or in a school or in a city or in a slice of time or in a family or in a church. If he puts you there, he promises his sufficient grace to you in every circumstance, in every situation, in the face of every threat. So you will have all you will ever need to produce bountifully for God. He promised it to Timothy. He promised it to Paul. He promises it to you and I. It is an ungodly attitude to assume that God put you here and now by an accident and he can't help you to abound or be effective in this moment. Fear is ungodly because it ignores God's power and it questions God's love and it doubts God's gifts. When we focus on God's power and love instead of the threats around us, it produces confident faith. That's the sound mind. But when we focus on the threats, it produces uncertain fear. Paul was helping Timothy. He was saying, Timothy, take your eyes off the threat. Take your eyes off the circumstance. Take your eyes off the perilous times and look up to the Father. Faith over fear. Right now, there are perils for us. There are threats. And if we operate by fear, it's evidence that we've elevated the threat above the reality of God's love and power in sound mind. The truth is, we choose what to fear. We either fear the threat or we fear God. And that leads me to this balance this morning. We we must be careful about assuming there's nothing to fear in life. Jesus Christ said in Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You know, the only appropriate fear is a healthy respect for God because he deals with the matters of the soul and spirit. There are matters we should fear, and I think about one is the effect of sin. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death... You think sin's not a big deal and you can live your life how you want to and nobody can tell you what to do and you can enjoy it for 70 years but if you die and nothing has ever been done about your sin the moment you die you'll be separated from God for eternity and if you've never dealt with your sin through Jesus Christ and you die without Him you'll be separated from God in a place called hell. Your sin, the effects of sin is something to be concerned about. It is something to be afraid of. Because if we don't deal with it through Christ, then it will will bring us to the point that we regret it for eternity. God has jurisdiction over the matters of the spirit and the soul. But here's the great thing about it, is God is greater than the things that we should be afraid of. He's greater than sin. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the price for our sin. We no longer have to be afraid of sin. He's also greater than death because after Christ died and was buried, He rose again and was victorious over death. And the that thing that, that most people fear the most, death itself, you don't even have to be afraid of that. God has given you an opportunity through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ to receive Him as your Savior, have Him pay your sin debt, and you can spend eternity with God in heaven forever. It's available to you today. And yes, without help, we would be afraid of sin and death. But God has proven victorious over our greatest spiritual enemies. As much as we should fear or respect God, when you think about God, when you think about his power and his love and his sound mind that he provides, then there are plenty of things right now that many of us are afraid of that we have no right to be afraid of. The coronavirus Listen, if you're operating out of fear of disease or death, instead of faith in God's ability and intentions, it's ungodly. And I'm not denying the danger. I'm not ignoring the concern. I'm not saying that we should throw caution to the wind at all. As a matter of fact, when we resume our services in here, we're going to take some steps to be careful and take some steps to be safe and we're going to do things a certain way. We won't just resume and jump back in like everything's normal. I'm not saying throw caution to the wind, but I can promise you this. If we get to the point where our fear of a virus or the threat of a virus is bigger than God, then we are ungodly in our spirit of fear. We're, if, if, if fear of this present threat, it's like saying if, if we live by fear of it, it's like saying that COVID-19 is bigger than God. It's bad, that its bad intentions are greater than God's good intentions, that its strength is stronger than God. Listen, at some point, we're going to have to operate by faith. There will be plenty of people that are trusting sanitizer, and they're trusting face masks, and they're trusting isolation, and they're trusting the social distancing. But those things have limitations. They cannot deal with the things that matter the most, the, things of the, the matters of the soul and spirit, that only God can In the end, we will have to step out from the fear of something like coronavirus and look to God instead of the threats around us and be careful but start trusting Him, looking to Him, having faith instead of fear. In the end, faith in an all-powerful, all-loving God is the only source of a sound mind. Face masks only help you so much. Hand sanitizer doesn't kill every germ Uh, social distancing there have been some people that practiced it immensely and they still got the virus in the end there's only one sure thing that can help us over overcome all of that and that is someone with all power and all love his name is God and that is the only place uh, or source of a true uh, sound mind that you're going to find in times like this through all of this I mean not just coronavirus you've got people that are afraid of financial trouble and Losing a job or or losing a family member and safety and security. I understand, it's scary. But as perilous as these things are, the question has to be asked. Is God's power and love greater than the threat? If the answer is yes, be wise and careful, but operate by faith in God instead of the fear of a threat. If you want a sound mind, place your faith in God by asking, Is God big enough? And does God love me enough? Two great questions when you're overcome by fear Is God big enough? And does God love me enough? And if you have that level of faith, you'll survive this season with a sound mind. Are you in fight mode? Are you ready to hit the eject button and go into flight mode? Are you in freeze mode where you're frozen at fear? It's time to get into faith mode. Does that mean be unwise? No. But it does mean we must elevate God's power and love above the threat and operate accordingly. There is a threat, but submitting to fear of it is ungodly. Because God is greater than the threat. And God loves me. And God has equipped me to have faith in this perilous time. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. We're going to have a verse of invitation. And I'm just going to ask you, has fear gripped you? Are you overcome with fear? Things are starting to loosen up, it it seems like, and there's a big fear of a second wave, and, and people are afraid, and people are responding accordingly. They're afraid. Listen, you have to stop and ask yourself a question. Yes, I know there's a threat, but is God bigger than the threat? Is God's love greater than that threat? If you don't go to God in faith in a time of fear, you will not have a sound mind. But if you will look up instead of look around, and you'll have faith instead of fear of the threat, then God will give you a sound mind even in these perilous times. There may be somebody listening today and your fear is on a spiritual level and you don't know that you've ever received Christ as your Savior. Let me mention to you today that all you have to do is admit that you're a sinner before God. Romans 3.23, all of sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge that that sin has separated you from God. You cannot on your own make it to heaven if you're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He came to this earth to go to the cross and die in your place for your sins... And then he was buried and rose again the third day, giving us victory over sin and death. And all you have to do, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation is available to you this morning. I want to encourage you to take a step of faith instead of a step of fear. Take a step of faith. God is all-powerful and all-loving and he's made salvation available to you. You can have it this morning if you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ. To the Christian living in fear, it's time to get your eyes off the threat and back to God. Is God big enough? Does God love me enough? Fear is ungodly. Don't live that way. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.